brother Chris. That's a fitting segue into our text and message today, which is all about blind Bartimaeus. He was blind and receives his sight. He's healed by the Lord Jesus. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10. We'll be continuing in the book of Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and I pray the Lord would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning the truth of his word as we continue on in Mark chapter 10. We will be at the end of the chapter, uh, verse 46. And we're at the conclusion of Mark's central section on discipleship. The bigger picture of what we've been seeing here is what it means, what it takes to really be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And we're at the final episode in this section as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and we have an encounter with Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Now, Mark's section on discipleship is, is bracketed by two stories of healing blind men. The first we saw was partial and gradual, the first healing. And it really, we, we learned then, it was figuratively pointing to the disciples' more slow grasp of who Jesus' identity really is and what Jesus' mission really, really is. We saw that in Mark chapter 8. Verse 22, remember they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought him a blind man for healing. And Jesus spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. Do you remember that? And he asked him, do you see anything? And the man says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. You know, it wasn't an immediate eye-opening. I can see everything clearly. And so Jesus put his hands on him again, and then he opens his eyes and his sight was restored. It wasn't uh, an immediate healing. It was more of a gradual process. And we learned when we looked at that text, it really corresponded. It was like a, uh, an imagery of how the disciples, they kind of saw Jesus for who he was, but they didn't see clearly. Did, they didn't understand clearly who Jesus was or what his mission was at that moment. Nevertheless, they were following him. <clears throat> now, we don't know about that first blind man. We don't have any knowledge uh, if he followed Jesus after his healing. The second healing that we have of a blind man that we see in our text today is immediate and it's complete. And it really signals the completion of Jesus' instruction on discipleship. And in between these two healings are several teaching on what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. There's several teachings in here that I want to remind us of that we've been hearing over the, over the prior weeks. In chapter 8, 29, verse 29, we see Peter confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and that's really how it, discipleship begins in a believer. It begins with understanding, okay, Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I believe in you, and I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. So following Jesus, being a true follower of Jesus, begins with faith and understanding who he is, confessing him as the Son of God, <clears throat> the Son of the living God. That's really our first step in our walk of faith. Then we're taught in chapter 8, 34, 
that if we want to be a Jesus follower, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do. It's actually a very difficult thing to do. We must be willing to lose our life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel he teaches. And we see that those who are ashamed of Jesus and his words now, Jesus will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We learned that back in chapter 8. Then in chapter 9, we see the glory of Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, and we hear the voice of God acknowledging Jesus as his beloved son and commanding us to listen to him. You remember that in chapter 9. This is my beloved son, God the Father said. Listen to him. And then later in chapter 9, verse 29, we're taught the importance of prayer in following Jesus and doing the work of the ministry. Then in chapter 9, verse 33, we see that followers of Jesus must be humble servants. We must be humble, like humble children rather than prideful rulers. And we're told that if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. We're also taught in the end of chapter 9, verse 42, to put away things in our lives that cause us to sin. So if your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off and enter eternal life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. And so Jesus' followers are to put away sin from their lives and be at peace with one another. Don't miss that second part. Put away sin from your lives and be at peace with one another. God wants us to live in harmony and have humility in our lives and live in peace with one another, not fighting each other and judging each other and condemning each other and criticizing each other and strife and all those things. No, he wants us to live in peace and harmony with each other. In chapter 10, Jesus' followers are taught to have soft hearts and live in love and unity in our marriages. We're taught that the kingdom of God belongs to those who come to Jesus like a child. Doesn't this really turn the whole world's teaching of what it means to be great upside down? It really does. And Jesus has been teaching that all along. True disciples have humility and service. And we saw last time in chapter 10, Jesus correcting his disciples for their fighting over who's the greatest and what it takes to be considered great in the kingdom of God. It takes humility and service. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, humble yourself and love others and serve others. That's the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. We saw that in Mark 10, verse 43. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is our prime example. If anyone deserves to be served, it's the King of kings and Lord of lords. If anyone deserves to be served and have his feet washed, it would be the king of glory. But what does he do? He models his service over and over again. He washes the disciples' feet 
modeling service, and then he goes to the cross. He dies the death we deserve for our sins. He takes the wrath we deserve for our sins on himself in the ultimate act of humility. And so today we come to the climax of the teaching on discipleship, just before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. And the account of the healing of Bartimaeus, it really provides an interesting contrast to the encounter with the rich young ruler that we saw earlier in chapter 10. These stories are right next to each other. And there's a stark contrast there, and as I was reading through this and looking at the whole passage, I was thinking, no, let's just go through and, and, and contrast those two stories and see how they're different. So we're going to take that approach with it today. Both of these men come to Jesus seeking something, the rich young ruler and Bartimaeus. Both have the blessing of a face-to-face -face encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. One of them walks away sorrowful, while the other follows Jesus with joy. Now let's look at uh, the story of Bartimaeus now, verse 46, chapter 10, verse 46. It says this, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Now, Mark seems to be fond of dramatic irony. It's a blind man who most clearly sees and shouts out to the world Jesus' identity as the son of David. He's really the first to actually call it right out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, that name, the son of David, was also a name for the Messiah. And the crowds would have been familiar with it as identifying Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. Now let's compare the hearts and actions of Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler. If you want to look at these in parallel, you can do that. The story of the rich young ruler is chapter 10, verse 17. Now notice that, that both men eagerly seek Jesus. Both men eagerly seek Jesus. Let me just actually go back and, and just read that quickly. Chapter 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So let's contrast these two accounts here. So notice, both of them eagerly seek Jesus, right? Both run up to him. The rich young ruler runs up to Jesus and he kneels before him. Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. Jesus hears his cry and summons him to come. The rich young ruler calls Jesus good teacher. Did you notice that? Notice what Bartimaeus calls him. He calls Jesus the son of David. And he uses the word rabboni, which means my master or my lord. So you can see in that very beginning, just the way they address Jesus, there's a difference. There's a contrast in their attitude before, um, before him as they talk to him. Bartimaeus understands Jesus is the son of David, the Savior, the Messiah. He sees clearly who Jesus is, his Savior and his Master. The rich young ruler asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Bartimaeus asks Jesus, let me recover my sight. One seeking physical healing, the other is asking about eternal life. So you would think the, the rich young ruler, man, that's a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's thinking big picture. He's thinking eternity. Barnabas is like just wanting to be healed. He just wants to see again. So from the questions alone, you might think, well, the rich young ruler is probably in the right frame of heart here, thinking about the big picture. And Barnabas, man, all he wants is to get his eyesight back. So you might look at it that way and start thinking the rich young ruler is the right guy here in, this, in these two accounts. But that's, that's not the case, actually. The hearts are in very different places. And Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, asking him, have mercy on me. Did you notice that? Did you see that in the rich young ruler? No. You didn't see that at all, did you? The rich young ruler justifies himself by saying that he's kept all the commandments from the time of his youth. Really? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's pretty amazing that you've been able to do that. But not Bartimaeus, right? He, he falls on his knees, have mercy on me, master. Notice also when Bartimaeus is summoned by Jesus, what does he do? He eagerly throws off his cloak and springs up to come to Jesus. Now, this is a blind beggar. So for a blind beggar to have a cloak, that's probably all he has. And that would be the only thing to keep him warm at night as he's sitting by the road begging. And so he doesn't even think twice about it. He just throws that thing off and goes as quickly as he possibly can to Jesus. 
Now that struck me as I was reading the story, thinking about that. And so he likely left everything that he had sitting there, and he can't see, so how's he going to go back to it, right? <laughs> I don't know where I left it. I hope somebody's looking after it for me. Yeah, I mean, think about that. So he, he doesn't even care about any of that. Jesus is calling me. I'm gone. I'm going. And he throws it all aside, and he eagerly springs up to go to Jesus, leaving everything behind. Now, the rich young ruler is at a stark contrast to this. He has very much, doesn't he? And when he is instructed by Jesus to sell all that he has and give it to the poor to gain treasure in heaven, then he becomes disheartened. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because he was the one asking about eternal life. So he must understand something about heaven. He must understand something about being in the presence of the Lord forever and ever, having eternal life. It would seem that he would understand, okay, treasure in heaven for eternity is worth more than lands and fields and flocks and herds and possessions here on earth. One thing that you lack, young man, go sell all that stuff that's going to burn up anyway give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now Bartimaeus eagerly does that. <laughs> he puts it all aside, goes to Jesus, he's healed, and he follows Jesus. Not the rich young ruler. He becomes disheartened. Bartimaeus is told by Jesus, he didn't, he didn't tell G Bartimaeus to follow him. He said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. But instead, what does Bartimaeus do? He eagerly follows Jesus. He could have gone his way, told everybody about how he was blind, now he can see, and try to get a job, try to build possessions, try to be like the rich young ruler. No, he's not interested in any of that. What he wants, Bartimaeus, he wants to follow Jesus. That's what he wants. And so he follows Jesus. The rich young ruler who is told, come and follow me, sadly he doesn't. He leaves full of sorrow. What a sad story. I read the rich young ruler and I, that just, that makes me sad. That is a very sad story. He's disheartened. He has a direct face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, and he leaves sorrowful? And then notice what Jesus, or what, what Jesus says about Bartimaeus. Notice what made Bartimaeus well. What was it that made Bartimaeus well? He says, your faith has made you well. There was no faith in the heart of the rich young ruler. Zero. His faith was in his possessions. His faith was purely in his possessions. And so he left sorrowful. He had no faith. But Bartimaeus had faith in Jesus. His faith made him well. That's verse 52. Now, in the same context, in the book of Luke, we find a parable that Jesus tells. In Luke 18, verse 9. And it really sums up this story very, very clearly and very well. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the rich young ruler was really trusting in himself that he was righteous, right? He said, oh, I've kept all these things from my youth, Lord. And he was also trusting in his possessions also. So the rich young ruler is trusting in all these worldly things for his justification and salvation. Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth by most people. They were not respected at all. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. That means he, he refrains from eating or drinking as a religious ritual. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So that means he gives like a 10% or even more in the Jewish tradition. It could have been up to 20% uh, of a tithe. Of all that I get. So I give generously. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, God, be merciful to me. I'm such a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus says. So this parable is similar to the accounts we see played out in the rich young ruler and Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And so the learning for us today, brothers and sisters, is what, what's the attitude of your heart today? What's the attitude of my heart today? Which of these characters best represents your heart attitude today? Do you come to God in prayer saying how great you are? Oh, God, it's so good that I'm part of your kingdom. Look at how much I have to offer. Uh, he's not impressed with that. Instead, our hearts should come to God, Oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul, a sinner. I am a great sinner in need of a great Savior. So let's learn from these two accounts today and see once again, we see once again that humility is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. Humility is the path to greatness. Let us never come to the Lord with a heart attitude of how great I am or how good I am. And we see this a lot in our day. You know, when I share the gospel with people, I ask him a simple question, you know, why would, why would God allow you into his heaven? The most common response I get is, well, I'm a pretty good person. We have this philosophy in our culture in our day that we're pretty good people and that our goodness is going to outweigh our, bad, our badness and our sins and God's going to, you know, work it out for me somehow. It'll all kind of work out, I hope. And that's not how, how it is. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. 
And that's how Bartimaeus is healed, and he is saved. His faith made him well. Now, Bartimaeus calling out to Jesus also fits a, a, a familiar pattern in Mark. And I saw this in the, in the text we've been reading, too, where these marginalized outsiders, they, they rightly recognize Jesus and respond to him in faith. And we'll see this throughout the book of Mark. I wanted to point out a few passages to us. Because he's one of the last in a long string of these. In chapter 1, we saw the man with leprosy. Chapter 1, verse 40. You remember that. Uh, a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling, and said, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Ah. Jesus, you touched a leper? What? He touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. So a person with leprosy, I mean, these are marginalized outsiders. They're not allowed anywhere near anything, people with leprosy. And Jesus has compassion. He actually touches him. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just said, oh, yeah, your, your faith has made you clean. But he didn't do that. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, he loves him. He, he touches him and makes him clean, showing everyone his love and compassion and mercy. That he's not afraid to touch him. He has power over leprosy. Amazing. And you remember in chapter 5, there was this woman suffering from hemorrhages. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him, chapter 5, verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much from many, under many physicians. She'd spent all that she had and, and was no better, was even worse. Sometimes I feel like that with all the doctors we have to go to today. Sometimes they just don't know. They're trying. That's why they call it a practice. <laughs> you know, they're trying. <laughs> and that, this is the same thing here. Like, she went to all these doctors and physicians, and she spent all the money that she had. She wasn't even better. She was worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She worked, his, she worked her way through the crowd just so she could touch, touch the edge of his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She had faith. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd all around you, yet you want to know who touched you? Everyone's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? Why are you even asking that? And he looked around, verse 32, to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So once again, these, these marginalized outsiders... Jesus welcomes them to him. Remember the Syrophoenician woman of chapter 7, verse 24. 
From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Remember the father of the boy with the unclean spirit in chapter 9, verse 14. He begged the disciples to cast out the demon, but they couldn't do it. He then cries out to Jesus for help, and Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus cast out the demon and healed his son. And remember earlier here in chapter 10 how people brought the little children to Jesus, blessing for, for Jesus' blessing and his disciples, scolded them for coming. And Jesus told them, oh, let the children come, don't hinder them. For, such, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And we see a climax of all these accounts in chapter 15 with the confession of the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross saying, truly, this man was the Son of God. And all these are examples of how outsiders who clearly see, they see Jesus clearly for who he is, and they trust in him. They're not the religious leaders of the day. They're not even the disciples Jesus chose for himself. They in no way would be looked on favorably by the people of Jesus' day. In fact, most of the time they were telling him to get away. Like, don't bother Jesus. Stay away. Get back. And Jesus would always correct them, wouldn't he? No, no, no. Let him come. Let him come. In none of these cases Mark, does Mark ever hint that their perception of Jesus should be corrected. They always saw him clearly for who he really was and had faith in him. In fact, actually, it's the marginalized outsiders that are correcting the insiders. And Jesus is correcting the insiders through their behavior. It's like, no, no, they, they got it right. <laughs> Pay attention to them. So when we see these marginalized outsiders in the text, we need to, our ears need to perk up because they typically have an insight into Jesus that the insiders did not have. And again, that's the case here with blind Bartimaeus. He's, Mark is teaching us in his text, let's pay respectful attention to what these outsiders have to say. And we see in our text today with Bartimaeus, what's he crying out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the crowds tell him? Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Stop yelling. Shh. You're getting on everybody's nerves. Quiet down, they sternly told him. They were mean to him. Quiet down, Bartimaeus, stop yelling. And it just reminds me of, you know, when he says, look, if, they, if he doesn't cry out, the very rocks are going to cry out. 
This is Jesus, the Messiah, and he's coming. Somebody make a big deal out of it. <laughs> Thank you, Bartimaeus. So there's a learning also here for us today. Let's be careful, brothers and sisters, how we judge others. We're, you know, we're so quick to judge others and write them off because they don't fit into the insider's group that we think we should be listening to. And we all do it. I mean, if you take a close look at yourself, you do it. I do it. We are, we are all prone this way. We're all prone to, to follow certain groups of people. Like, you know, people like us do things like this. That's what we're prone to. And when someone, someone out from the outside comes along and looks a little bit different or acts a little bit different or maybe uses vocabulary we don't use, we, we just write them off as, as some outsider. No, I don't have to listen to anything they have to say. We stereotype. You know, our brains like to do that because it makes, you know, we don't have to make as many decisions. You know, we don't have to think as hard when we stereotype. So we do that naturally to try to reduce the amount of decisions that we need to make. The older you get, the more you're going to see this. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience, man. Right? And so young people, you might not be in this boat, but the older you get, the more you're going to do this. So be careful with that. <coughs> be careful with that. Now, I've been in discussions where it's like, oh, that, that person, you know, their theology is no good. They're in this group of people. Well, okay, does that mean that they're wrong about everything? Not necessarily. Let's just be careful with that is all I'm saying. Let's just be careful not to quickly judge or write other people off or silence them concerning the things of God simply because they don't fall into the group of people you think they should or have the outward appearance that you would expect or like. Let's be very careful with that. You know, God looks at our hearts and he shows no partiality. He, he doesn't favor you if you're a Southern Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Catholic. He doesn't favor you if you're a Messianic Jewish person or not, or if you're rich or if you're poor. He doesn't favor you because of what clothes you wear or what car you drive or what neighborhood you live in. God cares about your heart, and he cares about your faith. And, and let's, let's work on that in our own lives, right? Let's, let's try to look into the heart the best we can and show humility and kindness and compassion and mercy toward each other. Notice again that it's Bartimaeus' faith that made him well. It wasn't his consistent shouting. <laughs> it wasn't the ruckus he made. Or it wasn't even his pitiful blind condition. Right? Because you could look at it and say, okay, what, are, what could be other things that would have made him well? Well, he pay, paid Jesus great compliments. Jesus, son of David, that wasn't what made him well. It wasn't that he was this pitiful blind person. There, I'm sure there were lots of pitiful blind people around who were not made well that day. 
It was his faith that made him well. And so the question for each of us is, do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe in him for your salvation? You know, there are a lot of young people in here today that are here because mama and dad drove, drug you in here. <laughs> and you're coming because mommy and daddy brought you. And the question is for all of us. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith in him? Are you here to worship him? Or are you just here because mom and dad make me come? It's a question for every one of us here. Why are you here? Are you here to worship? Or are you here just because it's the right thing to do? Because someone said so somewhere. Mommy and daddy said so, maybe. These are, these are uh, eternal life questions here. How you answer that question determines your, your eternal life. Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Do you have faith in him? Or are you more like that rich young ruler? I pray you're not. This account of Bartimaeus is, is fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 35, 5, <clears throat> where it says, Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened. It's a perfect introduction to the son of David's triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we're going to see next time. And Mark is showing us in all these accounts that Jesus, the son of David, is not merely David's descendant, but he is David's Lord. He is the son of God. And when we first see Bartimaeus, he's sitting by the road, blind and begging. He's looking for help and in desperate need, right? Because if you're blind, you can't work. And so you're really in desperate, desperate need. You, you can't even rely on yourself at all. You're completely relying on the kindness of others for your very survival every day when you're blind in this context. So when we first see Bartimaeus, he's sitting on the road, he's in desperate, desperate need. He hears of Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, and he cries out to him for mercy. Jesus hears his cry and calls him near. Bartimaeus confesses his need to Jesus, and Jesus sees his fate and makes him well. You see the, do you see the flow of behavior that's happening here? Do you see this? There's someone who is in desperate need. They understand the desperate need that they're in. They know about Jesus. Somehow he knew about Jesus. He'd probably heard people talking about what Jesus had done, what he could do, who he was. He knew about Jesus. He hears Jesus coming. He has an opportunity. He knows it. He cries out to Jesus to save him. Jesus hears his cry and saves him. Not only is he healed physically and he's able to see, he is saved spiritually by the grace of Jesus through his faith in him. But that's not the end. He leaves his old, blind, begging life behind and follows Jesus. He has a new life through and through. What about you? We all have the same opportunity Bartimaeus has. We all have the opportunity to recognize our desperate need, our sinful condition. We are sinners, and that the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We all have the opportunity to cry out to Jesus to save us and to put our faith in him and to trust in him. And he will save you when you cry out to him like that from, from a sincere heart of belief and faith. But that's not the end. Then we follow him. We follow him. We walk in his ways. We humble ourselves. We serve. We love. And glorify him through our lives. So my prayer for all of us today is that we trust in Jesus and follow him just as Bartimaeus did. And that we'll joyfully follow Christ. Joyfully, each day, knowing all the while that following Jesus leads to the cross, but also to our crown, and ultimately to our home in his presence forever and ever. Amen, brothers and sisters.